Michigan. It's your favorite Filipinos. We're so smooth. We're starting a band. Um, so just so everybody out there knows, we're starting a band. We're ambitious as artists. You got to wear many hats. We're starting a band. It's going to be called System of a Brown. We're going to be doing uh, covers of Limp Biscuit. Yeah, and it's lucky because we can just still make the song chop suey because I'm pretty sure that's like an Asian food dish. The first one of, uh, I actually wrote um, a song called uh, Chilling in the Name of. It's going to be <laughs> one of the tracks, the uh, single coming out soon uh, in 2020. We're going to be uh, pitching it to the Bernie Sanders uh, uh, campaign. Well, yeah, he's running, isn't he? I don't think he can run. I think he can. Uh, he's too old to run. <laughs> he's not that old. He walks to <laughs> places these days. I heard he's going to be headlining at Burning Man this year. Oh, yeah? No, nah, I don't know. I'm just making stuff up. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, if you've made it this far, you've already heard some other stuff. Or maybe this is your first one. There's always a first time for everything. This is our first third episode of a podcast. And today we're going to talk about something very near and dear to our hearts. We're talking about painting, folks. We're uh, Gage and I were both painting pros. We graduated school. Uh, that means we're professionals at painting. We're the best painters that you're listening to right now. We've got, listen. We've gotten in the gallery shows, Gage and I. <laughs> um, we've done commissions, plenty of commissions, Dude, tens of them. I've had I've had paintings censored and taken out of galleries. Because they were so bad. That's how you know we are professionals. Bad as... Not the... Not the bad bad. No, like bad Bobby. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Catch me outside. Bad, bad Bobby. (laughs) All right, so we decided we'd we'd show a little bit of our soul like you do in painting today and talk for a little while about how we got started. Would you like to start and tell us how you got started painting? You know, like every artist... I started painting when I was a kid. I started painting as a young boy <laughs> at the prime age of one years old. What was your medium of choice at the time? At, on, all right, so the real story is that apparently I started drawing before I started talking. And I would draw pictures and show them to my mom. And she actually kept a bunch of them. And she would write down like my age and what I was trying to tell her the drawing was, well, it was really just a bunch of circles. Like, I would draw circles in the shape of, like, a car or, like, a balloon or something. Circles and lines. You're fucking joking. No. Dude, when I was a kid, my mom, she tells me this story all the time where I would just draw circles over and over again and tell her it was different stuff. Moon, mommy. Sun. Oh, that is just so heartwarming. (laughs) (laughs) I guess Filipinos draw circles. Filipinos can do anything. You know, uh, General McCarthy, MacArthur, who, um, you can, as you can tell, I'm well-versed in Filipino history. Yeah, he's very Filipino. General MacArthur um, said, give me 100,000 Filipinos and I will take over the world. <laughs> give me 1 million American people and I will get complaints about welfare and paying for it and taxes. Yeah, MacArthur did know a lot about being woke in terms of Filipino liberation. That was like his number one tagline. The second was killing Indians. Native Americans. 
no, Wait, like, Indian no, people? yeah, Indian people. Really? No, nah, I don't know. I didn't study history. I'm a fucking art pro. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. So you would draw circles uh, of, of oh, parts right, and right, stuff. Right. No, yeah. So so I started drawing. Um, it just was something I always knew how to do. I didn't really think it was different or interesting or new. My both of my parents were actually artists. My mother painted. My dad was in advertising, and he would do storyboarding and uh, drawing. He was an art director in the Philippines and worked on commercials and tons of stuff, so it didn't really, wasn't, it wasn't crazy or different to me that I was able to draw. And as I got older, um, when I got older in America, since my family is Filipino, they didn't really encourage me to become an artist or anything like that. I would just watch a ton of cartoons, so I would copy the cartoon characters that I enjoyed, like Dexter's Lab. I would copy, uh, what else, Samurai Jack cartoons. I would draw Captain Underpants comics. Actually, in middle school, crazy story, from 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, I would draw pages and pages of this one running comic book, and at the end of my middle school, I counted all the pages, and I had 500 pages of comic. No like, shit. the same comic, yeah. That's it was wild. a 500 page comic, yeah. I did the same thing um, when I was in like elementary school. I was the only Asian person in my elementary school because I lived in Tallahassee at the time. So I always drew cartoon characters also. And that was like my way of bridging the gap. And I remember like one of the first times I ever got heated and like in an argument with this kid, Brett. I fucking hated Brett. But I hate Brett too. Yeah, dude, thanks for showing solidarity. <laughs> that was the weakest high five. I'm glad people can't see, but yeah, that, that was, was that was a really weak. That was a very artist high five right there. Yeah, I hit. I accidentally hit Gage on the shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, hit me in the chin. Hey, it's uh, fucking. So I got in a huge argument with Brett. I was like six years old, and it's because I would draw Goku like all the time and I had this like one way of drawing Goku but I always drew it like off top like I, there was no copying or anything and he came in one day with these really good pencil drawings on translucent paper saying he did it by hand and I got really mad because his drawings were way better than mine but it's because I knew he was tracing and I was like six years old trying to explain the concept of tracing to other kids who didn't give a shit about art anyways and we got in this giant argument and then eventually like we sat down and had like a Goku drawing contest and he still he still drew a better Goku than me. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't as good as his drawings and I felt vindicated. Brett, if you're listening to this right now, come at me, bro. Uh draw it to my face. I want to <laughs> see you uh, at my house. I slide into our podcast DMs in our Art Pro's Tinder. I'll fucking, I'll, I am going to outdraw you for Gage. I'm going to draw a way better Goku than you. I have been watching Goku since I was a kid. I don't like that. Yeah, okay? swipe right to catch this left hook, boy. <laughs> come through, come to Baltimore. I don't like you taking down my friends like that and tracing and, and I bet that dude practiced all night for that. Yeah, no, he definitely just like had a natural better approach to drawing than I did for sure. <laughs> but I always fall back on um claiming racism about it because i just really i really felt like i really felt like the whole reason he wanted to draw better than me was specifically because i didn't look like him um was he an alien was he <laughs> no he was just like a really really thick young blonde haired blue-eyed kid who was like one of those blonde kids who was like i used to be more blonde 
Um, I don't. So he I, was Goku. Yeah, he was Goku. That was that was the thing. You know what? He drew he drew Goku with black hair. I always drew Goku Super Saiyan because I want my art to go one hundred all the time. Oh, you know what it's sounding like, Gage, is I think that Brett wanted to look more like you. Yeah, I'm. You have black hair. That is true, and some white hairs too on my face, but that's like a medical condition. Oh. <laughs> What is that? What would that be called? What is that? I've never heard of that. It's not. It's it's like a stress induced thing. Um, oh, it makes my okay. immune system really weak, so I have like white eyebrow hairs and white eyelashes and like. Oh. Yeah, it's like vitiligo, but not really. Um, but yeah, I lost my first drawing contest, and that was when I was six. And it, I guess it says a lot because. I'm an artist now, and I'm still like super competitive about it. Like secretly, you can't be very competitive as an artist, but I am. See, remember when we were talking about how artists are too cool for school? Artists are also too cool to express competitive natures. But low-key, they're sitting in their studio, they're mad at their own paintings, and that's because they're looking at somebody else's painting and they think it's tight. Oh, yeah, for sure. I want to be that tight. But then they're... Then you can catch them chilling at this dude's studio whose art they think is tight and chopping it up and saying, dude, you're the, you're so good. Like you're like the, I want, I, you're like the John Bonham of painting. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, I've heard that before. You know, you hear all sorts of shit. You're the, you're the, the Travis Barker of, of, uh, lino cuts. You're the Travis Barker of dog drummers. Yeah. Does that mean... No, he's not the one with one arm. He's the one who got in a plane crash. The one with <laughs> one arm is... He's the dude from from Pantera, I think. It led, isn't it uh, Def Leppard? Def Leppard, yeah, that's right. You're you're so right. Um, well, well, we fucked up. We got to cut that because people on Twitter <laughs> are going to eat us alive. No, you know what? Yeah, we can't have people knowing we're wrong yeah, about no. stuff. Being wrong about stuff is not okay as an art professional. You have to you have to be perfect as an artist, and that's something that I learned as a painter. You have to be perfectly imperfect. Oh yeah, provisional. Look, there's again, there's a lot, a whole lot of sodium in this podcast right now coming from me there's a whole lot of sodium i'm well, sorry this, this is the top ramen of podcasts as a filipino <laughs> as a filipino american i grew up eating sodium from a bowl every food filipino food has tons so of sodium in it salt. and that's why filipino people grow up to have heart problems the only yeah. heart problem i have right now is being in love with podcasting my new medium my art my podcast co-host gage and my fiance, Gabe. Gabe, all in that order. <laughs> oh man! So what got you into um, what got you into like taking, I guess, art seriously as like a hobby? Well, that's a good question. Cause so the first time, I'm gonna run it back a little bit. Oh, well, let's run it back. In fourth grade, I got I got a little tight. Speaking of salt. I was sitting there, I would be, um, since I had just immigrated from the Philippines a few years prior, I um, would draw and, you know, I would. I had a little crew, but usually I'd spend time by myself and I would draw alone or I would draw in class instead of doing my work, which I got in trouble for a lot. But um, 
you know, I enjoyed it. It was what I knew I'd do. I, I knew it was my identity. But one day, this kid named Roland or whatever was drawing, like, Pokemon on the whiteboard. Which Pokemon? Dratini. Oh, he was drawing Dratini on the one. board. He was doing a pretty one. good job. He was also Filipino. And everybody in class was like, damn, dude, Roland is so good at drawing. And I was just sitting there so mad. And I was like, dude, that Dratini sucks. I could draw a way better Dratini. But you know what? I, you know what happened, Gage? What happened? I didn't. I didn't do anything about it. True. I stayed mad. And that chip on my shoulder grew to a, to a sequoia tree. And that is... That is what led to my passion. It didn't grow to a full potato. It, um, <laughs> I, as I, as I uh, ascended into the levels of school, I started to express myself more. I started to show my talents to everyone. And eventually, just like any good anime, I rose to the ranks and I became that guy. I became the dude that people know. Like, Renz, that name is synonymous with drawing good. Renz? Oh, the kid that draws good and hangs out by himself all the time? Did that, did that, or with two or three people? Or? Did that mess up your identity, would you say? No, I think I'm still the same person. It messed it up when I went to art school because everyone was like better or just as good as me. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that, we'll save that. Uh, we'll just throw that salt over our shoulder to keep the devil away. Dude, you know what's. What was, okay, <laughs> I'm going to keep the salt because the salt is what fuels me. The rage is what fuels me. Um, it always bothered me when. Kids who cared less about art, like could could care less about art, were so much better than me at drawing and painting. Like I went to art school for so long, like from like 11 till like 21, I was in some type of art institution. And there was always that fucking kid who was like, I'm going to join the Air Force, who could fucking draw like nobody's business. Like someone, really? yeah, wow. th this kid, Oscar, I'm going to bleep that out later was really super talented artist, like totally understood drawing from observation really well. Also had a very good eye for composition and like that's really all you need. Everything else is just taste. Um and would just draw the pants off of everything. Like no matter what he was doing, it was just a great drawing. And there's like three or four people like that. And now he's sitting in a boat in the middle of the ocean. Oh yeah, drawing nude ladies. No, he's sitting in the middle of the ocean, uh, trying to figure out, I guess, who to bomb next. Saving the world. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Saving the world from terror. Carrying sixty pounds all around because you know you need that in your life. Uh, um. So the first time I realized that um, there was value to what I was doing was in fifth grade. I switched schools. Um, my parents had put me in Catholic school for a few years, but uh, it got too expensive, so I went to this school a little up north where my aunt lived. You went to Catholic school? For like three years. Oh, I mean, okay. that's I that's I like super Filipino. I didn't, yeah, it was, it's a very Filipino thing to do. Yeah. Um, to go for like a short amount of time and then throw you in public school. <laughs> they're like, all right, we can't afford it anymore. We don't care that much about you. Yeah. Um, you're going to end up in the Navy or as a nurse anyway. Yeah. But um, I... It was sitting down drawing a like I was drawing Link from Legend of Zelda and this white kid just was hanging around me and being super annoying. You know, like as a kid, does it he, matter that he was white? It matters a lot <laughs> to me. So <laughs> because I'll get to that in a second. So I was sitting there drawing Link and you know as a, as a young artist, you it's uncomfortable when people are watching you draw and like talking to you and and like you know what I mean? When people are like, oh, I mean, I still get staring flaccid. at you draw. 
I yeah, still get flaccid I, when people my, watch me do stuff. My, I, my half chub turns into a uh, cold penis. Cold penis and balls weather. It's like jumping into a Michigan river. So I was like, dang, this dude's watching me right now, but I'm still going to rock on. And he, you know, I drew a sick link because that was like my young Naruto phase. I was like going up. Oh, yeah. I was, I was going in. I was like, I'm not going to let that situation with Roland affect me the same way. I'm going to do something about it. So I drew. Um, And he was like, hey, man, could you teach me how to draw? And I was like, no. <laughs> What are you, why? What are you talking about? You need to teach yourself how to draw. And I was trying to explain to him that the best way to learn how to draw is to actually, like, want to draw. And he was like, no, but, like, I, 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 I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that. And I was, like, thinking in my head, like, God damn it, you fucking idiot. <laughs> like, you don't know how to enjoy doing something, but you want me to teach you how to draw. And I was like, dude, I can't teach you how to draw if you don't feel like wanting to draw. And he was like, well, look, man. I'll give you five dollars if you teach me how to draw. And I was like, no, I'm He's not gonna, gonna pay you. I'm not gonna teach you for five dollars because it takes way longer than that to like, you know what I mean? I was like, five dollars. What am I gonna do with five dollars, dude? Five dollars an hour, maybe. That's what I was thinking. I was like, man, this fool, <laughs> this fool is disrespecting my my trade. And then he was like, all right, well, how about I'll just pay you five dollars for the drawing? And his homie was just staying quiet. He was like sitting on the other side. He was like, dude. Just stop bugging him about his drawings. Why don't you just like do it on your do it on your own? He had my back, dude. I was like, thanks, thanks, bro. Got a little pound and then a little bro fist. Yeah, he was like, all right, all right, I get it. Yeah, that's important. Um, so you've like always just really liked drawing, then and painting and art in general. Like you've always done it. Like way to pass the time, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for me it was. I kind of fell out of the whole like painting and drawing thing from like set like really Brett really affected me like losing that drawing contest because I have such a huge ego was like so much um so I like stopped painting and drawing I still drew like I always I was pretty homoerotic as a kid like with my drawings like I drew really buff like anime characters all the time when I would like write out like their skills and stuff and because like drawing clothing is so difficult they were always like basically naked, but with a loincloth because a loincloth is just a square. Like all you have to draw is a square with a bulge and you're good. <laughs> so, that's, a, that's an important part of the three dimensional, the bulge. Yeah. And I didn't want to draw boobs. So I never drew like, like women as a kid, which, you know, fuck that. I don't do the male gaze thing. I was just drawing really buff dudes. And like, I was still at that age where you don't have any muscles. So you assume the more, the more six pack eight pack ten pack like you think it goes up like the stronger someone gets like i was drawing characters you grow more abs it would be so i i, I found this drawing and it was like a drawing of a devil a really buff like demon with like horns and stuff and under i had like its whole its whole like powers and abilities like name its name was like draconis and then like it's one of its oh. powers it was like fire spitting uh animal taming and then the third power was has 36 pack abs <laughs> the power yeah dude that's the ultimate the core <laughs> having a core is so important i mean he had a really strong core and <laughs> and they always were in t-pose you know yeah with like two weapons and now that i'm older i know that you know the t-pose is not a good fighting position but in my mind like the buffer you looked the more dangerous you were so like that was what i drew for so long and then I fell off 
um, I fell off and I decided in like fifth grade to apply to this magnet school to go to to go to like an art middle school and the whole reason I did that was because I was in like accelerated math and I would always get separated from the rest of the class with this one other girl and we would do math together and I had a huge crush on her and I think she had a crush on me too and I was like oh where are you gonna go to middle school because I was like real worried we were gonna get separated and she was like oh I'm trying out to go to Bach I, I want to become a theater major. I don't. I, yeah, I didn't even know what theater was, but she wanted to act. Damn. So like that night, I went home and I'm like, Mom, I want to go to art school. And my mom's like, What art school? Mom, I want to go to Bach Middle School of the Arts. It's a really oh, good school. Oh. And she's like, All right. So what do you need to do for that? And we like look it up. And there's like this whole application process. You go in. You like draw still life. You have to make a sculpture and you have to bring in your sketchbook. For visual arts, because that was the one I picked. They had theater, band. I never played an instrument at the time. Um, dance, never danced, and art and communications. Communications being like computer stuff. Oh, interesting. Stuff. Yeah, I didn't have a computer at the time, so like I didn't know anything about that. Uh, so I was like, all right, I'm gonna do visual art because I really wanna, you know, fifth grade pipe this girl or whatever. Like whatever fifth graders wanna do. Hold with, hands. Yeah, I wanted to hold hands. With do more math who had really really crazy um like really long feet it's getting hot in here <laughs> um i'm probably yeah well that was that was what i was really into at the long time feet. yeah long feet um and i applied and got in and she didn't but i didn't even care about oh, the art i spent like every day damn yeah working on art for this portfolio just to like apply to get into this fucking school and, and she then get in. I and then and then you wrote her a letter that said, um, even though we're not together, a squared plus b squared still equals we squared. <laughs> Fuck. I'm sorry. Did I just was that private? That was that was so private. I showed you. No, that was just really good. That Mary, was really funny. <laughs> Mary, Mary Cecile, listen. If you're listening to this, on behalf of my co-host, uh, I just want to say that um, uh, I hope that you're still pursuing theater, and I hope that you're still uh, doing theater math, math theater. I, I don't exactly know how the two go together, uh, and I'm glad that as a young person, as a young artist, that you continued your pursuit and and understood that math is fucking useless <laughs> and art is where where it's at dude isn't it wild that like most artists you meet have been like making art like most artists you meet that like went to art school have been making art since they were like nine or ten mm -hmm. and then they're like oh i'm gonna make a career out of that whereas like almost every other career is like people just like go to college or they go to trade school and they're like oh yeah, I could probably eat if I keep doing that. What What if Mary Cecile was just acting like she was really good at math? Oh, maybe. <laughs> I mean, she probably should have gotten into the art school then. She was with that her math. Acting. Yeah, yeah. She should have acted. She should have acted like she was doing a really sick Goodwill hunting type uh, uh, algorithm on a blackboard it, as a janitor. Don't have you put seen me on black. Yeah, I've never seen it. I was gonna say, don't oh, put dude, me on black. Really good. I just don't like Mark Wahlberg. No, dude. <laughs>
Yeah, the I, I don't think you'd like the show because he's in his Calvins the whole time beating up beating up Vietnamese people in the movie. So is that his is that his thing, Arthur? Mark Wahlberg beats up Vietnamese people. Yeah, dude. There's this huge controversy where Mark Wahlberg like uh, his extreme bigotry and rage and is ego. He, is he an in big? He's a total in big. He might still be. So his his he just he he exerted his superiority on these poor Southeast Asians. Really? And hospitalized him, almost killed him because he's so big and strong and his freaking Calvin's. Yeah. Do you think that is like, do you think that's because his dad was in the Vietnam War or something? No, I th- I think that his underwear was too tight. And <laughs> his balls were just, like, restricted, and, and all of the blood went up to his gut, big muscles and cut off all of that from his brain. Oh, okay. It, it, yeah. it put all the blood in his legs. That's why he has such a nice, nice thighs. He has long legs. He does. Does he? I don't know. I don't know. I always thought, see, I always just assumed that every actor that, like, plays a kind of tough guy is really short. Like, I always thought that, like, Tom Cruise is, is supposedly <laughs> very short. And I know I'm, I'm swinging at low-hanging fruit. Like, don't roast me. It's not that funny. But Tom Cruise is really short. Because The Rock is clearly a, a man of, of flesh and masculine integrity. And he doesn't act like a tough douchebag in every movie he's in. You know, he always acts like a good guy. Yeah, he acts. He's a tooth fairy. Yeah, he's the tooth movie. fairy. He was the pacifier, who was yep. a Navy SEAL, who was also a really great uh, a ba- babysitter. A big baby. Yeah. A big baby SEAL. Yeah, and you couldn't see him or what he was cooking. <laughs> That's what my favorite thing about The Rock is that he his uh, you can't see me memes. Is he Filipino? The Rock? Yeah, he no, was, he, was he is um, Hawaiian. He is. I think he's either Hawaiian or uh, Samoan. Oh, uh, he's Samoan. That's cool. He's Samoan. I always Batista is Filipino. Oh, that's right. He's the guy from Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, he does not look it. <laughs> he doesn't look Filipino at all. Yeah, I think he's part Filipino. Yeah, so is Keanu Reeves. Are you serious? Yeah, did you know that? He's like a quarter Filipino. He's basically the closest oh. thing we have to like a Filipino person. Actually, so- Keanu Reeves and that dude is always in those Adam Sandler movies. Rob Schneider. Rob Schneider. Yeah, Rob Schneider <laughs> is that, Filipino. Folks? You see that Filipino blood? Remember what I said about McCarthy earlier? That's what I'm talking about right there. Yeah. Listen, one day uh, I was Christmas shopping at Nordstrom's and I was buying boat shoes. And <laughs> the. Sperry's? Yeah, the register lady looked at me and she was like, You know, you look familiar to me. You know who you remind me of? I was like, who? She's like, you look like Keanu Reeves. Really? And I was like, what the hell? That's so wild. That's like the biggest <laughs> compliment ever. I love how people think you look like somebody, but you don't look like them at all. <laughs> yeah. He's like classically good looking in a way that's like not classical at all. Do you like uh, John Wick? Have you seen I, the John Wick movies? Those movies are so badass. They're sick, dude. <laughs> they are really They're good. They're sick. I love them. Yeah. I love, I love movies that go full into that that like we don't give a crap about realism right now because you're watching a movie to escape reality type of thing i love that i mean that's just really good we talked about in the first episode that's really good revenge fetish stuff like they uh, if you haven't seen the movie it's about a real tough ex um assassin and his the other assassins murder his dog and he's like the most badass assassin. He just kills everyone who had anything to do with it. You killed my dog. 
and didn't eat it, <laughs> I will fuck you up. That's what he said. So I'm not from the Philippines. Do people eat dogs out there? Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's kind of fucked up. As a kid, uh, I remember distinctly, I was watching the news with my mom. And in the news, there was this huge controversy. They were like, there's these, those Chinese buns. It's called, in the Philippines, it's called shopao. There's meat inside, and it's like a white rice bun. It's like delicious. Uh, no, it's like a big bun. Oh, yeah, I've had those. Yeah. And um, in the news, they were like, controversy? People have discovered that this place is selling shopao buns with cat meat inside. <laughs> and I was looking at my mom, and she's like, maybe we should stop getting shopaos from random vendors that we don't know. And it blew my mind. I was like, Jesus, that's... That's horrible. Like, what? You know, I like cats. I liked animals as a kid. I grew up as three years old. I had a little puppy. My parents were like, what do you want to name a puppy? And I was like, I don't know. It poops a lot. I'll call it Dookie. <laughs> I called it Dookie. I love my dogs. I don't eat dogs. But the stereotype is half true. Because if you let your dogs roam around and your shitty neighbor finds it, they're going to they're gonna take it and kill it. And that in the Philippines is called pulutan. Pulutan <laughs> is a snack that you eat while you're drinking with your buddies. And nothing is worse than a shitty neighbor who wants to get drunk with his buddies and is hungry so he steals <laughs> your dog. But the thing is, there's a lot of wild dogs, like, uh, just yeah. running around. Yeah, I mean... And, you know, one could argue that it's good for the state. It's good for the neighborhood. Yeah. You don't well, want them running around. Eat them. I mean, we, we do have hunting seasons for the same reason it's like you can't like if you let one specific species procreate too much it it brings the whole environment down a little bit now that's a really easy um point of view to have on animals but it's also cultural yeah it's cultural america has a affinity to dogs because dogs are very helpful creatures. They have a long productive history as allies to human beings. I mean, man's best friend. They're man's best friend. Um, I'm standing with my dog right now. Yeah, you say up? it all the time. What's up, dog? What's up, dog? Man's best friend right there, folks. It's proof. It's in the pudding. It's in the pollutan. I don't like cats. You don't like cats? No, I mean, I like some cats, but cats are like people. They have their own personalities, and they know. They know, like, the, the big difference between dogs and cats, and I think the reason why they're, like, why they're dog people and why they're cat people is because cats know when they do something wrong, and they know when they're being inconsiderate because they have a sense of, like, of self. They're aware of themselves, whereas dogs aren't aware of themselves. So, like, when a dog shits on the floor, you just, like, you kind of have to get mad at yourself but if your cat knocks a glass off the table, like the cat knows it wasn't supposed to do that. It just wants your attention. Well, listen, that's what I appreciate about cats. I'm a cat dog person. I appreciate both cats and dogs. Did you ever I, draw a cat dog? I own a cat. I drew cat dog all the time. Yeah, that's good... that one of my favorites. But our manager and producer, Huey, the cat, cool she, cat. she's intelligent. She's fluffy. Um, she definitely does everything that you just described. <laughs> But I look at her and I think to myself, this is an animal that knows what it wants. And I don't have a problem with that. Not too big of a problem. Um, she's, she's nice. You know, she's a sweetie pie. I'm not going to go off and be that 
cat dad guy and talk about how cool their cat is because everyone who owns a cat thinks their cat's the cutest cat ever. If you're listening to this right now and own a cat, come at me. Hit up our hit up our Patreon. Tinder DM. Hit up our <laughs> Patreon. Let us know what you think. Subscribe to our Patreon. And um, we'll we'll really see who has a cuter cat. Yeah, we could actually that be that might be fun to set up is like a cat contest where we have everyone sending pictures of their cat and we could do like an upvote downvote type of thing where people are like oh that cat's cuter than this cat like so like a hot or not more. yeah like hot or not but with for cats. cats and i think that that would be a, like somewhat appropriate i had a thought about that in the shower actually yesterday i was thinking like we all know that uh mark zuckerberg is the mafia man yeah of internet tech uh information technology and e information and listen I know you're not listening to this, Mark, because you don't give a rat's ass. Who's your data? Redeem that high five. And I'm thinking, like, Mark, if you want to really make a difference in the world, if you want to create jobs, take that hot or not uh, paradigm and hire some bouncers. Hire some bouncers to let you figure out who really is hot or not, because they know when they're in those clubs, they're not letting you in if you're not hot. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Bouncers would be the best focus group for that. Hire some bouncers as consultants, Mark. I know what you're doing behind the scenes, low-key. You started with hot or not. You're a jokester. You're a prankster. You mess with people. You're still messing with us. You're, you're coming at us saying, oh, Facebook... That's just a great social platform. Yes, it's a great social platform. But I freaking know what you're doing. I know what you're thinking, dude. Yeah, it's time for a new startup, Mark. Let go of the hot or not idea. For the better of society. Let go of it. Yeah, Mark. (laughs) We need experts. Um, Wow. My mind is racing right now with the possibilities. So every time I get in this frame of thought where like my mind is racing i always want to do something and can you guess what that thing is what is it make some art so there it is we talked about our history we talked about a little bit about what inspired us to become artists um fucking brett uh uh adversity the anime paradigm of rising up in the ranks and wanting to be a better artist for me, my biggest inspiration came in high school when I saw that, you know, the pond was getting bigger. The pond. I thought it was a, I thought it was a big fish, but I was seeing myself and all these other big fish around me, and I said, I'm, maybe I'm not such a big fish. Yeah, you didn't even realize there was an ocean, huh? And there's this inspiration that comes from, I want to draw as well as that guy. I want to draw better than that guy because he makes me want to get better. He or she makes me want to draw as a, be a better drawer. So there's that, uh, passion, kind of, maybe like 10% passion. Yeah. Yeah, if you really care about that. There's the desire to justifiably ignore people. (laughs) Competition. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, the low-key competition. For me, unlike most sports, art is something you can do drunk. (laughs) (laughs) You can do sports drunk. Yeah, you can. It's just really dangerous after, like when you're, like now I couldn't get drunk and like play football and probably explode. You can't you can't get the concussion doing art. Actually, I got a concussion in art school. Did you really? Cuz I got drunk. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I so 
I was taking a hiatus off of drinking and I decided that it wasn't good for me. So I stopped drinking for months and doing any anything. I, I wanted to focus on my art a little bit more. Um, and one day I got invited to a party. I was like, all right, it's time. It's time for me to uh, enjoy myself again. Little mental health break. So I went and one of my buddies was bragging. I overheard him in the other room talking about how he won a shot re shot relay. And I was like, thinking, shot I was like, relay. yeah, I made that same. I was like, what is a shot relay? So I got tired of the bragging and I walked in and I was like, what is a shot relay? What are you talking about? What are you bragging about drinking for? I'm Filipino. <laughs> I got the I got the it, the blood in me. We drink salt and alcohol. Okay. What are you talking about shot relay about winning? You really want to win? Take me on. I'll take you on. I don't even know what it is. And he was like, all right, I'll take you on. We'll do a shot relay right now. So I walked off. I was like, all right, he's setting it up, whatever this is. I walk in the kitchen. It's ready. And I look on the table. There's five shots on his side and five shots on my side. And I was like, oh. Game on. Game on. I won. He still had three shots left. My man. But that's how I got a concussion because I biked home and I fell off and <laughs> fell right into my face And you know that sensation you get when you drop your phone and you don't see it immediately But you know that the glass shattered. Yeah, that's what it sounded like when my face to hit your the ground. face I, I I ate shit. I was biking on a straightaway So on the way home when I was biking it was a lot of curves because I was going in an alley and since I was like loopy and drunk like it worked out because I couldn't keep straight so yeah, I was so like chilling. I'm chilling I'm turning I'm good and when I hit the straightaway I was going straight and I was looking straight ahead or what I thought I was I thought I was looking straight ahead and I realized when I looked down I was headed straight into this bush next to some grass <laughs> and I was like whoa so I tried to fix myself I flew off the handlebars and face landed straight into the ground and I heard that noise and I was like, oh boy, that's not good. It was a crack. It was, it was not like a crack, but it was like a, like, a, you know that crack when your phone hits the ground? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's like a I know a it too well. It didn't hurt because I was fresh off a shot relay and I, as I fell, I yelled out, fuck, as loud as I could and I hopped right on the like I, I walked my bike to the crosswalk which was not too far away and when it turned green i pushed it forward and i tried to hop back on and immediately i felt my feet just like <laughs> racing and i realized that the chain had fallen off and i fell off again <laughs> and these people across the street were just cracking up they're like <laughs> and i was like damn at least i won the shot relay and I got home, I looked in the mirror, and my face had blood running all down the side. <laughs> and I laid down in bed. I don't mean to laugh. And it was pretty funny. I laid down in bed, and the colors reflecting from outside my window onto my wall were, like, changing colors. Really? Yeah, and I didn't have a headache, but I was wide awake, and my head was, like, there's like it felt like it was vibrating. And I was like, all right. <laughs> I know something happened to my brain. <laughs> I'm not going to go to bed immediately, but I ended up falling asleep after a long time. I woke up like a couple hours later and, and it was already morning at the time because I didn't want to fall asleep. So I was just trying to sit there all night and kind of assess the situation. But that's one of the things that uh, inspired me to become a better artist is to not drink so much. Yeah. Wait, what were we just talking? We were just talking about how drinking, you, you can be drunk as an artist. 
That well, that's why Sports? I started. Yeah. Now we were talking about how how you won't get a concussion <laughs> from so I from just making, from making what I just said. Well, no, I don't think that at any moment during that bike ride you were in the middle of a great painting or art piece. But I mean, maybe but, that's wrong. But it let me riddle me this though. Doesn't as an artist, aren't you always creating a painting within? No. <laughs> I had this friend in art school who and I would never admit this to him. Um, but you know, he really it really hit home for me, which is that most people in art school really should just go to therapy. Because I used to have that frame of thought where like everything you do as an artist like is somehow internally part of art, but that's not true. Like most of the time I think that just in general, most people who are creatively minded need a therapeutic approach to existing as a person. Like every like, like you should be very careful, you know, about your thoughts. You should be very careful about your decisions. And like, you know, as an artist, you feel like, oh, these thoughts, these decisions, it's part of my brand. It's part of like who I am. And like, I used to put that through an artistic mindset where it's like, all right, I'm going to act this way because my brand is like this or I'm going to make this decision because as an artist this is the decision that I should make right now but really I just need therapy I just needed therapy so on a different note do you think that art functions best as therapy I think that I mean consumerism aside and capitalism aside yeah like that's mostly what art is it's either therapy for yourself or for other people um, mostly because all the other functions that art does is part of therapy. And I also right. think that as a whole, art in general and culture, like art that's part of the zeitgeist is supposed to be therapy for the culture. So good art, mm. and I am going to use the word good art. A lot of people are like, art's subjective. Like, fuck that. Good art is therapy for the culture, whether it's some, like, whether it's something that's pretty, that you know, reduces anxiety, whether it's something that induces anxiety because we should be worried about something. Like there's a lot of environmental artists or like people like Ai Weiwei who induce anxiety. There's artists like uh, Kende Wiley who is focused on, you know, offering therapy that helps with like, like, well, I would assume for like black people, it helps you know, with your your views of your your own identity. Right, 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 right. Um, I know that, like, for me, making art is therapeutic for me mostly because I couldn't just sit there with these fucking thoughts. Like, the thoughts I have are really dark, but everyone has terrible thoughts. And then you have artists like Carrot Top who really are good for society because they make people laugh. They make people happy with their... Props. And their guns. Props to you, Carrot Top. Yeah, props to you. Art props. Um, so, w one thing that really actually fascinates and baffles me at the same time is the art market. Because it's, in many ways, really raw in terms of its economic uh, system. You know, the way art is valued is very interesting to me. And when the value of art comes from its, how do I sit, how do I even put this? It comes from taste. Is that what you're going for? Yeah. And, and that's where the complexity lies 
is that there's so much that goes into the valuation of art. It, it becomes cultural. You know, you can hit a lot of different levels when it comes down to it. Um, and then when, when we talk about that, we get into the topic of dominant culture's perspective of beauty. Like, who, what, which culture is promoting the sale of this art, and what does that dominant culture, the people that can afford these million-dollar pieces, what do they think is beautiful? And what does that mean for all of the other, other artists who are making actually really meaningful art, and it's getting valued in a different way because it's a different culture? Well, I think, I think that's it. I think that the, the point you're making can really be viewed in the discrepancy between what art looks like, for example, at major galleries in New York, like in Chelsea or in the Guggenheim or something, what that art looks like versus like art that gets popular on the internet. Because, <laughs> because um, like the art that you see in galleries that it's getting sold for like 1.4 million dollars like that's just like shit on a canvas not actual shit like the paintings are nice or whatever sometimes it might be actual shit who knows um that looks way different from like the vaporwave aesthetic that was like super popular you know maybe 10 years ago or like five years ago and that's also really different from like the stuff that's played at the grammys is really different from really popular soundcloud music which i think has like as much of a reach if not more than the stuff that's in those galleries or the stuff that is played at the Grammys or the stuff that's played on like, like, you know, hot 96. Um, mm -hmm. So this is, see, this is all important when it comes down to the topic that we tried to start earlier about starting, what do you want to make, you know, getting into that dialogue within yourself about how do I even want to begin thinking about what I want to make next um so it's a really big it's a really big change in environment when you step foot into an art school and get into that culture because that's all very relevant the art market is relevant there is a sect of student population that understands it and then there's the other sect of student population that believes in the integrity of creativity and the integrity of artistry and the the actual social impact of art yeah and beyond the economies yeah <laughs> uh the artist baristas in the world you know so and it's admirable it's honorable to believe in the social impact the actual impact of art as a social medium, the actual impact of art as a message to society and as a record of history, that's all very important. You know what's so whack though, is so many people who are like just about that paper co-opt that, they like co-opt like artistic integrity and like message, like they'll just hop on to like it's a political point or like a, a point of, of contention in society just to like sell stuff. Like there's so many, like there's so many galleries who will be like, oh, we're gonna have a show that's all Polynesians, because that's gonna like really, you know, like diversity is really big right now, and like we'll be able to get a lot of like rich white donors out here to like buy Polynesian art, which is like a big deal. And I, you know, I'm I come to a I come to a head 
when I hear about shows that are like being put on by, you know, some museum in some city, like, like let's just pick three random letters, like the BMA or something, um, that like does a show that's like all young black artists, just because right now in in popular culture, people are starting to be like, you know what? I do think minorities are being oppressed. And like, they're not doing it because they think it's wrong. They're doing it because they can fucking sell something. Uh, I don't know. I don't think that's completely true because I also think that there's a lot of positive, there's a lot of positive things that can come from that intention. And I think it comes down to the intention to do it. I think that having, so, okay. I don't know. There's man. a way to be there. There's a way to be responsible for doing things like that. There's a way to be responsible for being equitable, and there's a way for it to not seem trite. There's a way for it to not seem like you're just checking off a box. I mean, I don't think I don't think that it's trite. I also I I think that they're like trying to be equitable, but what I don't like is that ultimately it's still a ploy to continue to maintain the current system because it's profiting off of that so like hmm. like in for example i'll draw a parallel to like the cancer industry right like mm -hmm. chemo is a very profitable industry in this in this country and it on the surface is about curing cancer when realistically those chemo companies have more to gain from cancer continuing to exist and trying to cure it than actually fixing it. And sometimes I get worried that places uh, take advantage of trying to cure something without actually trying to fix it just to profit off of it. That's fair. But I also think that in the situation of art and promoting artists and promoting people of underrepresented cultures... There is a responsibility to do these types of things. There is a transition that needs to happen in order to be more self-aware about how you do these things. And I know that what you're talking about is how you represent these people and that there is a big social responsibility to do it properly, especially in a city right now where a lot of, a lot of the issues are race-related. Um, I, don't, I don't really necessarily think that there's... that there's anything necessarily wrong well there it, it's it's dangerous it's a dangerous game to do what you were just saying and i think that's your point your point is that if you want to do something like that you have to do it in a manner that isn't self-serving you have to do it in a manner that that has integrity towards what you're actually supporting well let me ponder you this is it the role of the institution to tell us how we should be or should we as patrons we as art viewers start going to things that are naturally more diverse so like should we instead of like going to um the 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 walters because they're putting on like a show that has like you know a bunch of native american artists should we not just start seeking out going to native american events instead well, no, I don't. I I think that there's a responsibility that comes from both sides. There, there's a social responsibility as a viewer to go to those events that you were just speaking of, and there's also a social responsibility for those procuring and curating those exhibitions to do it in a manner that is has integrity towards 
their equitable practices. When you do something that is uh, overtly equitable, then there needs to be a social sense of social awareness that has that gives honor to the people that you are curating for, and that gives honor to the institution that's curating it, and that can only come from the awareness that that you can receive from the group of people that you're curating. So if you're not talking to this group of this group of people that you're curating the art for and of, then you shouldn't be doing it. If you're just doing it to say, yeah, I'm equitable now because I just had a whole show filled with Filipino art and now our institution is equitable. That's without even talking to us, without even asking us is, hey, how does this represent your culture? I think that's the that's the really simple way to do it properly. Talk to the people you're doing it for. Talk to the society or the culture that you're doing it about and let them do it because that's a big platform. I they mean, have the platform. I yeah, they do have the platform and it is important and I think that in terms of being on the underrepresented side, you know, it does help. But should we be patting institutions on the back for fixing problems that they're part of? Like, should we pat the fucking Walters on the back because they're finally starting to have, like, like Hispanic artists there or something? Like, I don't, I don't think that um, they should get even more profit for fixing a problem that they're part of. Like, I think that they should just do it and stop trying to sell it as though, like, hey, look, we're changing. Like, isn't that a big deal? And I know that the individuals who are part of that institution are not, they're not the reason that that problem exists and what they're trying to do is, like, valuable, but... I, it just gives me a bad feeling in my gut. And that's okay. It's okay to feel that way, too. I just think that it's better that they're trying to do it. And if they're doing it in a positive way, if they're doing it in the way that I just described by reaching out, then that's a step in the right direction. Yeah. And that's the best thing you can hope in order to transition and evolve into that point where it can become actually equitable i'm also really big on who's on the board of directors i and see that that's another thing that's yeah. actually a big thing like who's gonna profit off of it and you know that has to come from the inside that really does need to come from the people who are responsible the leadership within those institutions to become responsible for those efforts they need to be responsible in their actions they need to be responsible for the people they're doing it to and the only ways to actually do that is to include people of that group into those boards, into those meetings, have them in that table, have them in those discussions. And as long as there are efforts moving towards being more equitable and doing those types of shows, just keep that in mind as an institution. Keep that in mind as an individual, as an artist. If you want to talk about those issues, make sure that you're actually being responsible for the people and for the culture that you're doing it about. Don't just do it to look cool. Don't just do it to be, to check off that box, that race box. Let me ask you a question. Okay. I, I think about this a lot because, well, let me, let me give you some context. So in the UK right now, there are so many universities that are not having, that have a their main minority is like white males like their main minority like that's like 
less and less white males are applying to the point where like they they constitute a very insignificant hmm. amount of uh, university applicants in the UK, which makes sense because you know for years they were you know the majority, and then there was a push to fix that problem and to make it a more equitable and diverse uh, educational system. And there are all these programs that were like people of color and like women centered, um, which makes sense. And it's a really big deal that it worked. Like that's really important. Do you think that in like 50 years when um, we do have like maybe legitimate equitable representation, like do you think that uh, like all girl art collectives or like like museums that are mainly women of color or like it's like all these um, organizations that are springing up now that are specifically for demographics that aren't like, you know, the dominant cultural demographic. Do you think that in 50 years they have an obligation to then start, you know, letting in like white people? An obligation? Yeah, I mean, like, like let's say all this shit pans out and all the work that, uh, you know, art schools are doing to get, like, more people of color out there starts panning out and it's, like, 90%, you know, super diverse and the only minority is, like, white people, like, white men. Do you think that there's going to be an obligation, like, that people should work towards making it equitable again? Yes. Well, yes, because that is the core of equitability the core of equitability is allowing anybody to express themselves regardless of who they are and what they do it's about sharing the platform so that's why i was saying what i was saying about how if a if a well-renowned museum decided to do this that's that may be their form of sharing the platform they may or may not be doing responsibly but they still are trying and just because they're trying I think that that could be a positive step in the right direction. And the keyword in there is could be because... Do you think they will? I think they should. I think it has to be that way. Because once you start denying other other cultures and groups of their art, then that's a step in the wrong direction. That's a step towards inequitability intrinsically. Yeah. I, I think it's a... it's 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 So there's a metaphor that my mentor tells me about equitability and that is uh imagine imagine there's a big fence and everybody is you know everybody has a different uh height to be equitable you gotta help the other people with a different height be able to see over that fence too and that might be giving them a platform to stand on so they could see over that fence. Maybe you're already tall enough and maybe you already had the platform that someone gave to you. But the point is, if you want to be equitable, everybody everybody standing behind that fence should be able to, that that wants to see over that fence should be able to see over that fence by whatever means. I guess my point of view is that you should just abolish the fence. So it doesn't matter how tall you are. But do you think that there... How far away are we? <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> this jewel rip. <coughs> fucked up. Um, how far away are we from removing that fence, though? Because I think that fence is going to be there for a long time, as long as there's people in power that are building fences and walls. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Um, 
It, so maybe the biggest solution to so okay, I'm familiar with the metaphor. There's also like a really popular meme, and there's all these different takes on it where it's like some people are about having a chain link fence. Some people like mm. like I'm familiar with that metaphor, and the standard is like it's like four people of different heights. And it's the difference between equity and equality. And equality is everyone gets the same height platform to help them. And then the equity is the platforms are suited to the individual and and their height. Right, right. Yeah. And I agree with that. I do think that um, to move forward as as a society, we need to address people's uh, problems and their oppressions and the things that they face, you know, with specificity, mm-hmm. which like, and yeah. I think the main reason that we have trouble doing that is because it's expensive. It's really expensive to hire people to point out, okay, these are the problems that this specific group faces and here's how we can fix it. It's just expensive. And because most of the world is run off bureaucracy and a bunch of people sending emails back and forth to make things happen, as opposed to people just doing the thing, like it, it just takes a long time and it's expensive because you have to hire someone to fucking do that. Um, so, I mean, okay. Um, like it's, dude, it's hard. So my perspective on that is that it really comes down to the responsibility of those in power and those who have the platform and the ability to make a difference as much as it is a responsibility for the greater population who needs that. So while there is a population who are proponents of positive equitable practices the people that have the the people that have the actual ability and the platform to do that they need to be just as responsible they need to be just as receptive and just as understanding of the actual factors and issues that could be detrimental to the future of the country the state the city and whatever it's on them, really, because they're the ones with the capital. They're the ones with the resources who can make a tangible difference. So in this metaphor, what do you think everyone's trying to see on the other side of that fence? They're trying to see big buff anime character drawings. <laughs> they're trying to see 36-pack abs being drawn by kids. Trying to see opportunity. They're trying to see... They're yes. trying they're trying to see a better world. They're trying to see what other people are seeing because if somebody is like looking over the fence and like, "Oh, dang, that is so cool. I love looking over this fence." And you're down there, you're like, "Dude, well, I want to see over the fence. What is it?" And they're like, "Mm, no, nah, it's not for you. Yeah, you don't you don't really you, you don't need to see this." That's that's kind of messed up, man. You're like, "Man, I want to see over that fence. What what, what do I got to do?" <laughs> I think the metaphor would work better. And those memes would look better if, like, there was a bunch of, like, bloodthirsty wolves at the bottom of the fence on the side that the people are on. Because that makes a lot more sense to me. Like, like it's... Because people talk about equity and equality and, like, a lot of people who, like, don't think much of the system needs to change, their, their frame of thought is, like, well, they're alive. Like, the world is better than it ever was. You know, we have iPhones and uh, people have hoverboards and... I have penis enlargement pills, um, and I don't think people get that, like, the real point of, of equity and equality is, like, dude, like, it's getting to the point where people might fucking die. Well, so people this is- losing a, their opportunity. This is an insightful topic about the fence, because the people in power right now, 
the person in power right now, is building a fence, a wall. He's building a wall around other cultures, and that wall is stopping diversity from reaching our country. And there's so many silly arguments based off of economic value that is inherently inequitable. That's what's causing a lot of debate. That's what's causing a lot of push towards equity and inclusion, which, you know, I'm going to be an optimist and say that the administration in power right now, I believe, is in a way a positive thing because it does inspire that type of thinking. So with that said, all of this talk about uh, inequity is making my bladder so full. Oh, mine is mine is filled to the brim right now. Filled to the brim. We're going to breach the wall of the pod and take a little break, folks. We're back. So we originally planned to do this podcast on how to start a painting. We got a little off topic. We meandered a bit. We made a couple marks that we weren't planning on making, but that's okay. That all happens when you start a painting. A big part of starting a painting for me is to find my canvas or whatever I'm working on and to just start putting stuff down. And that's not everyone's approach. Some people really meticulously plan. Some people take a few photos. They have references. Uh, but I really want to get to the meat of today's episode, which is going to be about how to start a painting. And we're going to give you all the best art pro tips on making a great Great fucking painting. So how do you start a painting, Renz? Well, my painting starts from an idea. My painting starts from... A lot of times, it's it comes from a sketch. It comes from something like a topic that I feel strongly about. So there's two different practices that I do. Actually, one of my favorite things to do in painting is to paint from life. And that means you sit down and you bust out your your drawing pad or your, your paints and you paint what you see in front of you. And that is kind of like a philosophical type of thing. And it's a meditative type of thing because sometimes you don't need to think about a concept when you're painting. Sometimes the joy of painting comes from just painting. The joy of painting. And sometimes, the impact and importance of painting comes from the idea that you're painting. So, the easiest thing, obviously, is to sit down and just set something up or, or paint something that you enjoy looking at in life, like a window outside or, or a still life where you paint a bowl of fruit that you, look, you think looks really beautiful, and that's totally okay because the important thing is that you're painting. And then there's the other more social aspect of painting, where you, you paint something about uh, the, uh, the issues that are going on with immigration. Sometimes you need to come up with an idea about that. And that takes time, that takes pondering, that takes notes, that takes uh, special attention to your medium and what, what types of tools you're using and what type of object that you're going to put and what type of symbolism you're going to use where the paints came from, who might have been hurt in the manufacturing. Yeah, you don't want to use cheap paint because that means your paint isn't going to last a long time. If you sell, end up selling that painting 
and the color starts to fade, then you're not really doing a service to your customer. That is true. Yeah, that's something that they don't teach you in, in art school necessarily. I mean, I guess there's like this assumption among older teachers who assume that you plan for your art to last a long time. Like I had painting with Timothy App and he just assumed everyone was using oil because that lasts longer in the colors stay. But no one ever told me and sat me down and was like, all right, in 20 years, if you paint in acrylic and you don't put a sealant on it, the sun is going to fade the colors, you know, this much. Yeah, it's called light fastness. Break yeah. out your notebooks, uh, interns. Light fastness. Oh, yeah, interns. That's, that's right. You're our interns. We're not paying you. That's how uh, you're, yeah, you're not getting paid to listen to this. I'm sorry. Not yet. Until you donate to us and get Patreon. your money back. We should, that's how we should do it. We should open up an investment phase where people can invest in the podcast and then the more money we make, we pay them back in dividends, kind of like stocks. Dividends, that's a good term that I don't understand. Yeah, me neither. I think it's just like a payout, a payout for uh, being an investor. It's a bribe. We're bribing you to listen to our podcast because you might get something out of it in the future. Hey, look, if you invest $5... And you're in the first 100 investors. We'll give you one percent. Yeah, we'll give you a mug. We'll give you one percent of half of what we make moving forward. So uh, that's just good business, folks. It's no hard feelings because business uh, business doesn't have any feelings or emotions. Business is a huge part of painting too. If a corporation was a human being, it would be a sociopath. Would it? I don't know. I I have I used to be like very anti-corporation, but now I kind of just like don't appreciate um how most corporations are run, but I feel like the the core concept of a corporation is pretty functional. Well, corporations are technically individuals. Yeah, that's right. They do count as people. Corporations are people too, folks. <laughs> they are people. Corporation are lives matters. Corporations lives do matter. Um Pepsi lives matter. So, starting a painting, it's very important to know who you are as an artist. And that, that can get complex. It's a big, it's a big deal. It's uh, personal. It's subjective. So, you got to know yourself and what you want to do. And yeah. in art school, that's a lot of what uh, you're you're learning. Yeah, if you're just starting painting now, I would suggest painting from life. Mostly because when you do something from observation, the way that you portray it will say a lot about you. So Gage, how did you, like, did you, you you said you started drawing. When did you start to discover uh, your enjoyment for painting? Um, I was in ninth grade at an art school and I had a class called painting. Ooh. Yeah, I didn't really like painting. I have really bad eyesight, like legally blind without glasses. I can't drive without um, corrective vision. And I couldn't paint very well because everything in painting class we were forced to paint was far away because it was always from life. And I was a very, very, very bad painter. And this kid who I'm, I'm good friends with, like not great friends, like he lives in a whole nother city, but every time we run into each other, we went to high school together. He's a good guy, he studied architecture. So we get along. I have a lot of respect for architects. Um, He told me, because he was a fucking shithead at the time, 
he was like, Gage, you're like the worst painter I've ever met. Ooh. And because of that, I was like, fuck that. I'm going to prove that I'm a good painter. So I started like really painting a lot. And my school gave out a lot of free paints and stuff. And painting happens so much faster. Like it looks like a finished object so much faster than a drawing does. That I just wanted to only paint for like 45 minutes and get like a homework assignment done. Mm. But then I took acid um and i painted and i just kind of painted whatever i thought or felt at the time while i was on acid and i made all these really i made like five really great paintings over that course of like eight hours and it just stuck with me that i liked painting after that hmm yeah i i only knew the world of drawing before i understood that color could really be an impactful factor in expressing and also viewing art and the emotional response attributed to that. So I, I, I don't really remember when I first started painting. I had the foundation and skills and knowledge of drawing. But the moment I jumped into it was when I noticed that uh, I was in community college and there was a summer course for painting. And that was the beginnings of when I decided to go full in uh, 100% full horniness towards <laughs> art. I was horny for art at the time and I was like ready to accept my role as an artist. I figured, hey, I've been drawing for this long. This is my skill. I've taken a lot of general education courses, which all of which I were so disinterested in. But outside of class, I still found myself pursuing creative endeavors like music and I was painting and drawing outside and and you know doing tons of stuff that were related to my interests and you know it just kind of fell into place and what was I the first thing you ever painted um it what one of them was a grizzly bear really I painted a grizzly bear's head that's badass and it was like roaring and my I I had my birthday was coming up and I was living with my aunt at the time and she had, what she asked me when she asked me what I wanted for my birthday I said I want some paints so we went to Michael's both of us did not know anything about what paints to buy so she got me some oil paints and I used oil paint and painted this grizzly bear and I didn't know about how long oil paint needed to dry and I learned quickly after that it stays wet for a long time, and I tried to wash off the oil paint with water, and you know, <laughs> I was a really noob. I was a huge noob, but that really solidified my interest in it because I was like, "Wow, this is both difficult and amazing. This is nothing like drawing." Were you doing other art forms at the time? At the time, no, I was just drawing. That was around the time, um, middle school. Mm. when I was making those comic books and I didn't paint for a long time after that and I just knew I liked it and yeah. it, it was hard it was hard um but really the core foundation of painting really is drawing because it's a skeleton the skulls and bones of of painting yeah I would in, say in a, a sense it's probably it's pretty much the same thing except color and it's wet yeah but then when and there's also the abstract expressionist angle where you know the colors are are full front and center and you really don't need to know how to draw you just need to know how to express your emotions or your ideas 
So, uh... Yeah, I would say abstract expressionism is like the least skilled, most difficult form of painting. It's difficult. It's, it's very musical, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's abstract. And it's expressionist. And I think <laughs> a lot of people in art school hated on abstract expressionism. Like, people... That... that uh, who's that guy that smoked cigarettes and poured stuff on it on the canvas? He's really famous. I always forget his name. Jackson Pollock. Jackson Pollock. He counts as an abstract The guy that smoked cigarettes and poured paint. That's kind of a lot of... Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it could be anybody. Yeah, I mean, that's that was me, like, circa 2013. Um, but a lot of people give people like him flack or, like, like uh, Frankenthaler, Helen Frankenthaler, a lot of flack because it's, like, a, a technically, like, low-skill thing. That's super hard, but they don't respect the fact that it's like something that you could technically do at any level. Yeah, no, my two-year-old can do that. Yeah, that's like always the thing is like my kid can do that, but realistically your kid couldn't do it because they didn't know like a hotshot New York art dealer. Let's see your two-year-old talk to a dealer. Yeah, a, a dealer. Dealers go and look, you know, on one knee looking at your two-year-old in the eye and say, hey, uh, little Billy. We want to put your art in this show. There's going to be a lot of uh, big wigs. All right, little Billy. And little Billy's like, I want some chicken nuggets. That's not going to sell. My kids are You kidding man. me? That 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 dealer is going to take advantage of little Billy and say, I'll trade you your million dollar painting for a box of Annie's dinosaur nuggets. That little kid's going to be like, Ugh. yeah, dude. Nah, those are gluten free, aren't they? Gross. Our jokes are gluten-free. Mm-hmm. There is no bread on these jokes. Streamlined. No bread. No allergies. Paleo diets. Oh. Um, <laughs> unless you're right-wing. You probably may not like our jokes. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I've been pretty pretty center lane. When I could I, go real right-wing. If if we have right-wing listeners, let me know. I'll, I could play both sides. I went to art school. When I eat a pterodactyl chicken nugget, I eat the left-wing first because that's... That's the one you like. It makes it gives me more political power. You know what's wild is like a lot of like art and music is about being fringe. It's about being on the edge of stuff, not being like a lot of other people. But there's almost no right wing artist that I know that went to art school. There's like no like conservative hmm. anything in, in pop media that I see. That's like mm-hmm. art, like famous like artists. Kanye. Kanye, yeah, I think that Kanye knows that. I think that's why he does it. Eh, Did you paint know. Kanye? It's probably just because of taxes. Yeah, <laughs> I. Uh, that's a good painting. I really like that. So, one. that that was really close to the end of my senior year, and oh, you painted him as Napoleon Bonaparte, didn't you? So there's yeah there's. <laughs> there's there's a famous painting of Napoleon uh, marching towards the Alps, and the painting is of Napoleon on a horse, which I have an affinity towards horses. It's my spirit animal. Uh, and it's Napoleon. He's standing there. And one day I was at a rager art school party. Rager. In a warehouse. Was and there a beer pong? There was beer pong. And... Uh, you know, I was playing beer pong and wrecking it on the tables. I was thinking to myself. Yeah, you are pretty good. I was like, dude, um, I'm going to paint Kanye West <laughs> as Napoleon on a horse because I found this big triangle canvas. I was too broke to buy my own uh, canvases, so I would 
paint on found objects, and I found this big triangle-shaped canvas. Wait, so you're telling me you painted Kanye when you were near graduation? <laughs> I actually did. I didn't think about it like that. Yeah, I'm corny. <laughs> so I painted. I painted it. Um, since I was, I I went straight to the studios after this party, and I stayed up all night, sober, uh, only sober off other drugs, drunk off beer, and I painted the whole thing. I painted Napoleon. On a horse, but instead of Napoleon's face, it was Kanye's face. Yeah, it was pretty good, too. And I made the triangle upside down because it was upside down triangle Illuminati symbolism. And when I installed it, like, a couple, like, a week later, there was a re teacher in residence. And he was looking at my painting and giving me critique. Really cool guy. I went to the bar with him plenty of times, and he stopped by because I told him which room I was in. He was like, did... This is for is your this thesis a, show? This, yeah, for my thesis show. And he looked at it, and he was like, oh my gosh, that's a really smart painting. You painted this Haitian soldier that helped the Filipino army defeat the Spaniards. That's really smart. And I was like, oh, no, that's just Kanye West on a horse. And then he got even smarter, and he's like, oh, wow. And he started talking about the relationship of that culture based off of history. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the power of art. Yeah, I mean, it goes to show that a lot of times what you paint doesn't really even matter that much. It really matters the interpretation of it. Super and, important. And that is what's going to break down that wall that people need to look over and don't have the <laughs> opportunity to look over. Break down those walls. Paint about these different cultures that you believe in that affect society today. Because that's what's going to be important when you look back in history. Do you know a lot about uh, the, the Filipino Revolution? No, I know very little because, unfortunately, the Filipino history has been affected by, um, yeah, it's been colonized by colon colonization, and um, I ha since I've been living here in America for so long, I've have very little opportunity to read about it, and all I have to read about are more or less contemporary writers writing about, you know, Filipino. Agricultural plight through immigration. There's actually a few things I've read about Filipino settlers who settled in like New Orleans and in California and how they're not very well known because Filipino people are pretty much in intrinsically nice people. Uh, very disinterested in... Very islander. like Super, super chill. Yeah, like it's all like you could tell that they've just had... Like my family, you could tell has generations of chilling. We're just way too. Blood. We're just way too okay <laughs> with things. Yeah, but yeah. it's not always right. They make good nurses because they'll heal anybody. So my last name, my last name actually comes from uh, my last name is Balagtas, and when the Spanish came to the Philippines, I was researching what that name meant, and I found out that um, there was a Philip, very famous Filipino poet well-known they he was known as the shakespeare of the philippines francisco balagtas i believe oh no shit that's no cool. shit and when when the yeah i was like what and when the spanish came to america i mean <laughs> when this when the spanish came to the philippines they had this law where if you had a filipino last name you had to change it to a spanish last name and he was from then on 
known as Francisco Baltazar. My my family's last name is Jose because they had to deal with that. Too. Jose? Yeah, Jose. Oh. Yeah. See? So they changed they changed this man's last name to Baltazar. He wanted to keep going as Balagtas and what the people in that town he, he actually existed in the same town that my family is from called uh Pampanga. Are you guys related? I don't know. Probably. I, it's possible, but um he, they honored his last name by having these events where they would have political debates, but you would have to rhyme. And whoever could debate best with rhymes would be the crowd favorite. And it was up to the crowd to decide who was the better orator. So you're so they were doing rap battles, <laughs> political debates. Yeah, that's so badass. And that's what they na- they named those they named that event after this famous Filipino poet and writer named Francisco Balagdas because he wrote so many so many different things. What's that? Uh, what's that? That freestyle rap battle thing that goes on here? Didn't you have a buddy who was like really good at it? I remember meeting him once at your house. Oh yeah, uh, it's just it's just a rap battle. Dog fights. Was that's what that's what it's called i think it was called dog fights i think oh yeah there well i mean there's different uh there's, there's different, different things events but yeah like i i know that the there's one in baltimore that still goes on shouts out body bag smurf that's it, my boy yeah i i saw <laughs> i saw a video with him in it the other like maybe like two months ago he's really good very good wordsmith. He worked at worked at Whole Foods with you too. He worked at Whole Foods with me. One of my first jobs here, coming off school, my first job while I was in school was as a security guard. A big mistake for the school. Oh, you worked as a security guard <laughs> at Michaels. Huge mistake for the schools at Michaels. No, that's the at our school. So huge, huge mistake for the school for hiring me as a security guard. I remember one time I uh, accidentally locked the keys in a place that I was supposed to be securing, <laughs> but I still had my walkie-talkie, so I walkied my boss, and she was like, "You do that again, and you don't have a future in this." And I took that as a message. Yeah, I, was I like, mean, you, know, you I can't shouldn't. even, I can't even secure my own mental health. <laughs> so. <laughs> paint so um second job was at whole foods i had to work outside i was the outside guy i worked outside uh, bringing carts in and helping people bring their bags to their cars and i worked outside oftentimes at the same time with my buddy body bag smurf shouts out body bag smurf have fun like you are a good body bag smurf if you're listening to this you're a fantastic father and I hope the best for you and your kids. He also had bars. Very, very witty dude. <laughs> Man, I hope your kids... I only met him once. I hope your kids have have better bars than you. No disrespect. And I know <laughs> that they will because of your parenting skills. But he would be out there. I would see him like freestyling under his breath and he'd walk up to me and he'd be like, Renz, I got a battle coming up next week. What do you think of this? One time... I overheard him, he was practicing his bars, and I realized that he was making up a bar as he went about each car in the parking lot. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. He was really into it. Yeah, you could tell he practiced a lot, right? Yeah, now he's doing video, music videos. Cool. Yeah, so he's still expressing his creativity, and I really respect that. So tip number one, um, always be practicing, and... ABP. 
Practice ABP. your ABPs. Past, practice your ABPs. Got to get to Pracky. 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 Yeah, Pracky. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's really important to be practicing. You can tell when someone's put in their hours from what they make. It's really important. Thank you so much to everyone listening to this uh, this special episode because this is still practice for us. How many hours do you think we put into potting so far? Dude, we put in at least seven hours. At least seven hours, yeah. That's, uh, we only have nine, you're the math guy, 99,993 90, to go. 525,800 minutes. I don't actually know that song. I heard that's from a Broadway musical. Um. When I start a painting, I almost never finish it. And that's the hard part about painting is that you like, and I'm working really hard, everybody, to stop saying like. I'm so sorry that I say it so much. I'm not that sorry. Look, the reason, all right, he doesn't want to admit it, guys, but Gage is saying like so much in between his words because he likes you as a listener. Thank you, interns. I do like you. I'm considering hiring you after this. Um... How many? You know, I'm gonna DM us. Topic. Yeah, DM we us. want you to in our pod with us. Did you know that? Um, did you ever do an internship while you were at Michael? Uh, no, no. No, I started one. I didn't finish it. I got drunk one night, and I was biking with my friend, and it was like three in the morning, and I fell off the back of my bike, and I hit the back of my head <laughs> because I bought the bike from this kid you didn't get a concussion like me i did not get a concussion but your story actually reminded me of it like earlier i was like biking and i fell off the back and i hit the back of my head and it was like three in the morning and that bike was how i was getting to that internship every day at like 8 a.m and i texted my boss well i guess you can't call him a boss if they're not paying you huh (laughs) (laughs) but i was doing an internship i texted my boss and i was like oh i'm gonna be late I didn't get a response, so I went on the the Michael website and was looking up like internship stuff, and I hadn't actually signed up for it to be an official internship yet. I just had it secured. It was at this fabrication place, and I found out you have to pay for that. You have to pay to get job. Yeah, you have job to training. Pay, you have to pay to work, and the internships can't legally pay you more than a certain amount. So this internship wanted me to be there forty five hours a week. And I paid my... 45? Yeah, I paid my own fucking... Like, like I worked when I was in school. I didn't just fucking, like, sit around. So I had a job at the time that I was not taking hours in so I could pay for the things that I needed to pay for. Um, Yeah, and he didn't respond. And I go on the website. It's, like, 9.30 in the morning. I'm, like, waiting to catch a bus. And I find out you have to pay. And the thing is, is that I had scholarships. You have to pay, and it's summer rates, and you can't use your scholarships that the school gives you during the summer so not only was i going to pay full price but i was going to pay to work at a place that didn't have a guaranteed job and wasn't teaching me anything because I, I got the job i got the internship specifically because i had the skills that they used that's not equitable let like so, gauge see over the wall let me see over the wall make a different wall make a chain link fence just for kidding my, for my boy but if i can if i can do the job like that's my feeling about internships in general. A lot of people, they take internships like in other majors and other uh, career paths. For example, law. 
you know, you take an internship because you're not familiar with it, but when it's something in the art field where you're taking an internship with someone like stretching canvases or you're taking an internship with someone like this was a fabrication studio. So I was doing like woodwork and, you know, painting stuff. And this is stuff that I do. This is stuff that like I've been doing for like 10 years. Don't take that fucking internship. Go get just go get a real job that has That's to do with it. That's disrespectful. Yeah. To you and your skill. Yeah, I mean, it's just bullshit. And that's something that the uh host is responsible for is giving you the respect that you actually deserve. Oh, dude, he spent 3 hours trying to teach me how to use a roller. Like a dough roller? No, like a paint roller. Like I've never. It like, takes that long. <laughs> like I've never fucking painted a wall before. You've never used a paint roller. I wasn't getting paid, and I painted like forty fucking four by eight pieces on my first day of work. Hey, listen, this is a paint roller, so this thing it, it move so, from the outside in. This thing swivels, and if you want to get paint on this wall, you want to get paint on the roller first. Okay, I that is I, actually yeah. So I I actually have it. Di- done an internship i remember now because i blocked it out of my memory because i didn't have the best experience it's so fucking traumatizing a lot of um i don't want to speak for everybody but a lot of internship experiences aren't really optimal my internship funny enough was it's free labor for most people I got, you know, I got the hooks. I got the hookups. I got the uh plug for this internship at a glass blowing place. Oh, no way. You know, you know the glass blowing place. Oh, Probably the... pretty close where you work. Yeah, spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> um It's actually a well-renowned glass blowing place where we live. So, I'm not going to talk too much about my experience because not only do I not world. I don't want to I I don't remember everything. My boss talks uh, all right, I'm gonna do it anyways because I don't care what they think. I really don't. I had a I had a terrible experience. It wasn't it wasn't productive for me. I wasn't given a lot of actual practice doing glass blowing. Um, outside of some events where I did like the most basic thing ever, I was really just there as extra labor. And my advice to you. If you're listening to this and you are going into an internship, make sure that you respect yourself. Yeah, make sure that you're going to learn something from the place you go to. Yeah, respect yourself enough to make sure that you get the respect from the people that are supposed to be respecting you as an artist. So, yeah, just value yourself and your skill because I didn't know that at the time. And I was just happy to be in there. And we, Gage and I just alluded it to it earlier i filipino people are chill we're happy doing what we're gonna do (laughs) and i was happy doing what i did i was happy doing it with this company and this business uh and it ended up not being very fulfilling Uh, i didn't learn anything about glass blowing i just learned more about manual labor and it perpetuated my propensity towards being okay with that which is why i decided it was okay to join whole foods after Hey, but you were getting paid for that. Like, I'll tell you what, I work for a foundry now, and maybe 60% of what I do is just, like, manual, like, unskilled manual labor. 40% of it, I'm learning something, which Mm -hmm. is why I'm going to stay, and I have a lot of respect for the place I work for. But internships, especially in 
the art realm, not the design world, because working with a production team is really important and learning how to like set up files properly is really important. But in the art world, if you're working with fucking artists, I would bet nine times out of 10 is just an excuse for them to undercut an employee. Yeah. It's a way much. for them to get a school to bully students into working for free in the fucking art market. Because I know the glass studio you worked for and they sell their shit for a lot of fucking money. It's really nice though. Yeah. I mean it it's is beautiful. It's good stuff. I mean glass skilled. Dude, glass blowing is like it's so hard. It's it's an it's an art practice that really is very special. Um it's one of those things where you can't just buy a cheap version of it from somewhere. Like you need to get good glass, good glass blown. You Honestly, the difference. Yeah. Yeah. At the time, that's what I understood, and um, you can't really just throw yourself into that situation. To be honest, like it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to do. You know what I learned about the other day? What my job? There's different types of bronze casts. There's Chinese bronze, which has a high amount of copper. There's European bronze casting, which has a low amount of copper, and they do it a completely different way. And then there's silicon bronze casting, which is kind of like the most contemporary, cheapest form of it, but also pretty effective. So it's mostly silicon. Gage, did you know, like, I learned this from this low-key African store here that I actually found by accident. They have a little museum in their shop. Sankofa. Yep, I went there. I haven't been in there yet. It's cool, right? It's amazing. It's beautiful. The people in there are really passionate, and the people that run it have an amazing collection of African art in is the back of the store. Is it related to... We can cut this out later. Is that is it related to uh, Kibibi? No. Okay, because her dance company has the same name. Yeah, so I'm actually going to help her with uh, doing a documentary because she's been doing it for 30 years, and she's ready to transition into something else because cool. it's not sustainable anymore yeah and less people are interested in ethnic ethnic dance than they have been in the past so and in this completely unrelated so sankofa the store sells african products uh it's authentic sick masks there too authentic yeah i love masks they're authentic you got to visit and in the back, they have this museum. And when I was back there, the one of the people that curated it and curated and collected the collection was telling me about how there are so many different pieces of history that have been forgotten about the practices of African cultures. And that actually, people in Eastern cultures claim that they were the first to discover bronze, but... So many thousands of years before that, in an African country, I don't want to botch which country it is because I forget, but they actually found that there have been sculptures that have been so much more advanced than the than the bronze castings that have been found in Eastern cultures who claimed to discover it first. So thousands and thousands of years in the past... Before what uh, Western culture decided that they were the ones to discover bronze casting, there are these people in Africa who have been doing it so much better. And they have the actual sculptures that are evidence of that. Because these techniques that they were doing, they, they're baffled and they couldn't understand because the history is so lost how they were even capable of doing that. And that is 
That's messed up. I'm trying to look up what country it was. That's really interesting. Yeah, like... And and at the same time, I was given knowledge about astrology that these African cultures were aware of before a lot of other cultures claimed to be aware of it. And and a lot of their... A, a lot of these things that they've discovered were discovered thousands of years later on by Eastern countries. Is it... Is it Benin? I want to say it's somewhere in like Nigeria. Yeah, the Benin Empire, which occupied okay, so it was Nigeria. present day Nigeria. Okay, so it was Nigeria. Between 14th and 19th centuries were very rich in sculptures of diverse materials such as iron, bronze, wood, ivory, and terracotta. And I want to I wanna go off the record while on the record <laughs> to say that these techniques may have been stolen. Yeah, probably. And, you know, with that, I want to say that I hope this pod has stolen your hearts as a listener. Sorry, I wanted to look it up because that's really cool and I didn't want to forget. Jamie, pull that up. <laughs> uh, Huey, can you, Huberta, can you please do us a favor and pull that up? Huey, can you uh, pull that up, please? Any, uh, any interesting, oh yeah, okay, so starting a painting. Yeah, just fucking do it. I don't know. Just do it. <laughs> yeah, just do it. I mean, that's what we did. No relation to the uh, slogan from a popular company. Just really, though. Nick? Just, Nick? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Nick said, Nick said just, just done it, but we are telling you, just do it. Painting's so fucking easy if you just do it. That's the, the most important part about starting painting is just doing it. Also, when people talk about... So there's a lot of people who make bad art. There's a lot of people who make good art. Just kidding. I don't really believe so much in all of that. I think that there's art with bad intentions. A lot of people will like stuff just because it exists. So just do it. Don't feel bad. If your friends don't like your art, they're probably not your friends. Be secure in your skills and capabilities. And your biceps. Be secure in your ability to draw 36-pack abs. Actually, okay. So I'm going to name... We can do this and we can we can end the pod. Um, I'm going to name a couple things that I've done in the past that made me a better artist. Okay. One of them, we can go back and forth maybe. You go first. You go first. Yeah. I respect it. Okay. Draw 100 hands, small, and each hand should take less than, than a minute and a half. Hmm. Hands, huh? Yeah. For me... um. Buy a sketchbook and start drawing things you see around you. Practice drawing from life. Practice trying to draw that uh, window next to you. Practice trying to draw your coffee table. Practice drawing ellipses. Yeah, I was going to say that too. That is the most difficult thing to draw. A bunch of cups. Set up a bunch of cups. And like you don't even need to draw the whole cup. Just draw the just draw the rims look and up, the bottoms. Yeah, look up, uh, look up the artist Mirandi. The artist Moran. That's my favorite painter. He's really, really good. He's, yeah, yeah. If you like really boring still lives that are very neutral, that's your guy. I want to I wanna cut off my part by expressing one of my most, two of my most inspirational uh, professors in art school. One of them is a professional that taught me life, painting from life, and we, he would take us out into different locations in the city 
and we would i think there was like eight of us in the class we would go to different parts and when we exited the bus that would take us there he would just say go out walk around and take your paints and find something you like to paint and paint it until this time and i'm going to be walking around and looking for you guys to talk to you about what you're painting and why you want to paint it and what light you're capturing. And plain it was, air. Plain air paint. It was awesome because literally you would roam around, sit down and start painting. And this instructor would look for you. That's cool. He would look for you wherever you were and he would make sure to find everybody. Kind of like a game of hide and seek. Yeah. And at the end of the day, uh, you would all gather back to the bus and go back and he would do a lecture. And that was so important to me because it really perpetuated the idea of the importance of painting to paint. And I remember one day, uh, it was after I'd taken his course already, it was like a, maybe a year after, I ran into him in an elevator and we had this deep conversation. I helped him set up his class and he was like, you know, it really baffles me and I don't understand why art school is so expensive because all you really need to do, paints aren't expensive. You could provide that for free. All you really need to do is really provide the the inspiration to start painting and you don't need much to start painting you really just need to sit down and start to paint and the base level for that that i understood for me is sitting down and looking at something and painting it because if you like painting you're gonna paint if you have kids here's a fun one i do this with my students sometimes get some paints out or maybe get some drawing utensils and look at each other. Don't look down at your paper and try and paint what you see. There you go. Yeah. Blind. What is it called? Blind. It's like blind contour. Blind contour. Yeah. If you do it with just a pen. And here's the second, my second most inspirational professor. Uh, shout out Ken, Ken Tisa. <laughs> so shout out Ken Tisa. Ken. He's Ken, a great artist. Too. Ken. Ken. So, <laughs> Uh, my instructor, Ken, taught me how to paint from your soul. The class was called Personal Narrative, and I didn't really know what I was getting into until I walked in that room and understand what, what this instructor was all about. And he was all about knowing who you are. His, his, his assignments to us were so profound to me. He would open it up by introducing a film having us think about it and then introducing the topic that he wanted us to paint outside the class. And they were time, paint about time, paint about gender, things like that. Yeah. And it really made me think to myself what that meant to me. And whenever we would go in for critiques, everybody's painting was so different because everybody is different. And that's what, that's what I learned. And that it, it's okay to be different. It's okay to paint what you want to paint as a person. It's okay to paint these experiences. And when we really think about it, those lessons and those assignments that he taught us are really embedded in the human condition. Time is embedded in the human condition. The understanding of gender is embedded in the human condition and so on and so forth. And every other topic that he would allow us to paint about was related to that, like scale. Yeah. Paint, paint, paint scale. And you get to thinking, like, what does scale mean to me? <laughs> do I want to paint something small or do I want to paint something big? And at the end of the day, it says something about who you are in as, as an artist. And when we got into critiques, he made you feel comfortable with who you are as an artist. And that is a big deal in art school. 
that's a big deal as a person is being like so all of you interns are artists whether you like to say it or not i think that the default human characteristic is the desire to create something i think that that's default i think that's the one thing that sets us apart from every other species on the planet and actually not even every single other one but we notice when elephants or dogs or crows do stuff that is creative and is specifically for doing something new that they didn't do before we notice that so we know that i know that it's important um a big a really good project i did once I can't remember who, who had us do it. it, was like, you have 45 minutes to go out and find, like, some stuff, some trash, and this works better in a city, and then you have 45 minutes to make something that you can use out of it. Hmm. So, like, a lot of people just did furniture. I did furniture. Hmm. Um, so, like, make a table out of some trash you find. And, like, that's important because art is really, a lot of it's about problem solving. Like, the, the effective, important parts of learning how to make art is learning how to solve a problem, I think. Yeah. So, hey. Oh, Thanks. use tape for for hard edges. <laughs> That's important. I, I, you know, if you're listening to this, thank you. And we appreciate the time that you're taking to sit here and listen to us talk about nothing and everything at the same time. And we're learning a new medium. And we're going to get woke soon. Okay, um... Seriously though, if you uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, let us know. If you have an opinion on anything that we've been saying, let us know. Uh, somehow, post it. We'll talk about it. We appreciate you. We appreciate our uh, people that we're doing this for. This is new to us. Podcasting is a really important medium because it really represents the voice of the people, the actual opinions of the people living in the world today if you got nothing to talk about at the bar mention our podcast <laughs> this is what we would be doing anyways if we were at a bar i don't go to bars anymore because i have a fiance so i'm stuck at home making dinner yeah i don't and go to lunches. bars anymore because it's expensive i don't go to bars anymore because um oh we'll get to this in the next pod but uh one of my favorite bars is uh I, I, I don't want to go in there anymore because something crazy happened. Is that when we got in that fight? <laughs> and tune in for the next episode, folks. Oh, that's great. Let's keep that.